Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Well, hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us today for part two of this series, Eternal Realities. Last weekend, we celebrated Easter and we kicked off this series looking at how because of Easter, we can have hope that we are uh, completely forgiven, uh, we don't have to fear death, and we have an eternal home. My name is Ryland. I'm the lead pastor at Rockbrook. And on behalf of all the pastors and staff here, I want you to know that we're praying for you. We love you. Uh, We care about you, and we really appreciate that you would take this time, that you would take time out for church today. I really miss seeing you, miss all you guys so much, and I miss seeing your families. Uh, You know, I'm the dad who loves to share pictures of his family, his kids, and I've probably shown you a picture or two in between services maybe, and I love seeing uh, updates from you guys and what's going on in your family. Uh, I thought I'd just show a few few pictures of what's going on in our house these days. And if you want to fast forward through this part, I I totally get it. You don't even have to tell me. But uh, this is my amazing wife, Lauren, and our two boys, Landry and Sterling. And this was a few months ago uh, over Lauren's birthday when we were still getting our hair done and getting dressed every day. And Landry singing happy birthday in this picture. And then we don't uh, have a, a pet, so uh, I brought out the Christmas narwhal uh, again, and instead of setting up all the Christmas decorations, which was going to be more effort, uh, we just brought out the Christmas narwhal, and uh, this has kind of been Landry's pet for this time, and he <laughs> loves bringing it out and tearing it back down. And then this is Sterling, uh, who's coming up on a year old, and he's starting to take his first steps. So cute, uh, so sweet. And a lot of a lot of sweet things happening in our house in these days, and and challenging things too. Uh, I know for many families in at Rockbrook, you know there there were problems being faced, and illnesses, and a, a family drama, and everything else before the pandemic. And this has really just put a magnifying glass on many of those things. Uh, but I do believe that if we focus on the right things through this. And if we focus on the eternal realities at stake that God can lead us through and carry us through. You know, the Bible tells us that everything we see is temporary. That we, we do not see what will last, but the eternal realities are the things that, that we don't see. And the things we see right now, they're all temporary. So if it's material, if it's physical, it's not going to last in the long run. But the material or the physical is really not all there is to life. We don't, we don't see the only reality. We can't see God. We can't see the angels. We can't see our souls. We can't see God's Holy Spirit. We can't see heaven. The Bible says that those things, even though we can't see them, are what is going to last forever. I want to show you this in 2 Corinthians and 
If you're taking notes today, maybe you printed those off or you're looking on the app or maybe you want to open up your Bible to 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 16. And we'll just go through a chunk of of scripture here that's going to set up the context of what we're talking about today. The Apostle Paul writes and he's saying, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that, we, that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. Anybody want to give a testimony on that? Anyone want to amen that part there? But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord, for we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident And we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Now what the point that the Apostle Paul is making here is that spiritual realities are more real even than physical realities. That these are the things that are going to last forever. And we need to focus on what's real. What are the realities of life? What are the realities of the universe? Uh, They're all found in God's word. So let's just take a moment and look at five, quickly, just five spiritual realities realities. And the first reality of life is that God created you and God loves you. You were made by God and you were made for God. And friend, until you understand that, life will not make sense because it's all about God. It's all for his glory. And not only does he love you, not only does he include you, he's given you the capacity to learn to love him back. He's given you the freedom to make the choice to learn to love him back and to get to know him back. That's the first purpose of life, to learn that, to, to learn that it's all about God and he's given me the capacity to love him. The second reality of life is that you are made to last forever. You, you are a, an everlasting being. And one day your heart's going to stop 
And that's going to be the end of your body, but it's certainly not the end of you. The Bible says that you and I, as human beings, we were created in the image of God, which means God put us in eternity. In fact, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that he planted eternity into our hearts. And that's why, regardless of how good things may be on this planet or how bad things are, there's still a longing in you that at some point in your life, you go, there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more than just what I see. And the truth is, there is. (laughs) There is more. There is much, much more. You were made to last forever. And this life is preparation for that. This life is preparation for eternity. And he put eternity in your heart. So that's the first two. The third reality of this life is God has prepared two eternal places. So you last forever and there's two eternal places. Heaven and hell. Heaven is real and hell is real. And they're not just states of mind. They're not uh, just states of being. They're literal. They're real, real places. You know, last week we looked at John 14 Uh, where Jesus says, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. That Jesus is preparing a place for those who believe in him and follow him. And where he is, we get to be there too. That's heaven. It's the presence of God and it's a real place. Why? Because this is not your eternal spot. This is not your permanent spot. You know, I'm grateful that we don't live forever on this planet. Aren't you? Why? Because this planet is, it's broken because of sin and suffering and sorrow and sickness and evil and nothing works right on this planet. There's nothing perfect on this planet except the word of God. No relationship, no job, no nation, no body, nothing is perfect. Everything's broken on the planet because of sin. And I'm glad we don't have to stay on this broken planet. That we get to go to a place, we're offered a place of perfection and of freedom. And God says that we can spend eternity there. Heaven is a real place. But hell is a real place too. In fact, Jesus says this, Matthew 25, uh, to the people who do not believe uh, in him and they choose against him, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So Satan's angels are called demons. Uh, we'll, we'll probably talk a little bit more about that in this series of angels and demons and spiritual warfare and, and those kinds of things that the Bible has a lot to say about. But Satan rebelled against God and hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. It wasn't originally, hell was not originally intended for human beings. Now Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, it's called heaven. But hell is prepared for the devil and his angels. So if I choose to rebel rebel against God, just like Satan did, and I choose to reject God, and I choose to say, I'm going to be my own God, I'm going to do whatever I want to do, 
I'm gonna be what I want to be. I'm gonna say what I want to say. I make the calls in my life and I am God in my life. Then if I rebel like Satan, I go where Satan goes. So there's a real heaven and there's a real hell. Now here's the fourth, fourth reality of life is that you choose where you get to spend eternity. You get to choose either of those two eternal places. It's your choice. It's the same kind of choice that God gave, the, gave Israel in the Old Testament. Back to the book of Deuteronomy, God said to the people of Israel, today I'm giving you the choice between a blessing and a curse. You'll be blessed if you obey the commands of the Lord your God, or you'll receive a curse if you reject me and be your own God. And in heaven, God has the right to say, if you want to come to heaven, here's how you get, here's how you get here. It's through Jesus Christ. And if I reject this condition of entering heaven, God is not being unloving. I'm being foolish. Because I get to choose where I spend eternity. And then there's one more reality of life that we need to cover today, and that is that there's no second chance after you die. So you get to choose where you spend eternity, but you, you have to choose now while you're alive before you die. And I know many of you uh, were raised Catholic, and, but there's no purgatory. Purgatory is not in the Bible. The word is not even there. Uh, it's not a Bible idea. It's not something that Jesus or God taught. It's something that was, it was just thought up in the Middle Ages. In fact, uh, Catholics don't even officially believe in it anymore. And Pope John Paul II even stated purgatory was not a real place and they've taken it out. Why? It's just a theory that was thought up in the Middle Ages. And the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The Bible says that they will go away to eternal punishment. The righteous will go into eternal life. And the reality is, ultimately, at the end of the day, there's two eternal places. And friends, this is so important. What we're talking about today is your eternal destiny. And maybe some other weeks, uh, this was really good for a nap on the couch, or uh, you didn't make it all the way through the service But this week, I'm encouraging you to listen to this as though your life depends on it. Because the reality is, it does. You know, we just came out of Easter weekend and what Jesus did on Good Friday and Easter Sunday tells us a lot about these two eternal realities. If there's anything that the cross teaches us, It is that Jesus Christ was not inconclusive on the subject of heaven and hell. And I know that the human mind wants to default to a universalistic point of view uh, that at the end of the day, we all make it. And somehow this amazing God that we love and serve, somehow he's going to work it out for everybody at the end of the day. And to that point of view, is a cross standing in history. And that cross tells us some very important things that Jesus himself believed about eternity. And Jesus had a lot to say 
about heaven. And Jesus had a lot to say about hell. In fact, on your Talk It Over notes this week, I'm just going to list five different passages, and that's by no means all of them, but where Jesus is explaining what hell is like. And I'll put other passages where he explains what heaven is like too, but we're going to talk more about what heaven is like and what we'll do there next week. But I want to, in this time together, look at what the cross itself says about heaven and hell and the eternal realities. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, the cross says to us that there is something to be saved from. The cross teaches us that Jesus is a savior. But if there's a savior, then that must mean that there is something from which we need to be saved. So the question then is, what did Jesus save us from? And I think... I've heard a lot of different answers to that. What did Jesus save us from? And many will say, well, he saved us uh, from our sin. He saved me from my sin, and that's a right answer. Or he saved me from myself. Or he saved me from a life that is less than the very best. And all those are right answers, but they're incomplete answers. Because Jesus could have fixed those problems many different ways. Jesus saved us ultimately from the righteous wrath of God. That's what Jesus saved us from. And of course, when we talk about God, uh, we normally talk about and lean into his grace and his mercy, his kindness, his patience, his forgiveness, his greatness, his perfection. But friend, without the righteous wrath of God, there is nothing in life to look forward to. That without the righteous wrath of God, all this talk about hope that we have been saying, that we have been giving, rings hollow. It's empty. It's untrue. Because there's nothing and no one who will cleanse the earth of evil. And Jesus knew this. Jesus knew this better than anyone else who has ever lived. In fact, Jesus saw this tidal wave of God's holiness coming in power, coming in justice, coming in goodness to cleanse the earth of its sin and to make a way. And so he gave us a way. He made a way for us to be spared from that, that we would not get caught up in that. And in the wake of what is coming, Jesus uh, appeared to take the brunt of the coming tidal wave of the wrath of God. So that in Jesus, we can actually be hidden and covered by his righteousness. So that when the wrath of God comes, we are in the shelter of his wings. We are under the covering of the blood of Jesus. Maybe you've heard about being covered yourself by the blood of Jesus. And I just picture like when a volcano erupts and it leaves ash, just thick ash over everything that is uncovered. The only way to be spared is to be in the protection, to be in the shelter of a wing, to be under the covering. And Jesus is offering that covering. We are under the covering of a savior who gave his life in our place, who took on our sin, who absorbed the wrath of God in our place, who suffered and died, was buried, descended into the lower parts of the earth. Jesus believed 
in hell. Jesus believed in heaven and he did that so that we could be covered by the righteousness of Christ himself and have real, solid, true hope. So what Christ did when he took the payment and the penalty is he transferred into your account his righteousness and transferred into his account all of our sinfulness and all of the evil throughout history. Now, there is a permanent, once and for all covering for your sin. The righteousness of Jesus to save us. Yes, to save you from yourself. Yes, to save you from a life less than the best. Yes, to save you from the sins you've committed. But even more than that, to make a way for you to have life and to be saved from the judgment and the wrath of God. And that's why the cross uh, is so gruesome. That's why Jesus wasn't euthanized. That's why Jesus didn't take on our sin and pass away in the night. No, we saw the full effects of the gruesome aftermath of sin and all that it has done to humanity and all that it will do to humanity. All of it laid on an innocent life. And at the cross, we saw what God justly pouring out his wrath looks like. At the same time, seeing God's great love for us as he was willing to make a sacrifice. Yes, even his own son to do it. I I, want to show you this in scripture in, in Romans 5. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ dies for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? So we get saved from something and that something is God's righteous wrath for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? There's there's no holding God to any questions on the day of righteousness. When his righteousness comes unbridled, and everything in its wake is going to be covered. There's no going to be stopping and questioning God. There's no time in that moment to make a different decision. The decision's been made. And if Jesus did not believe the day of righteous wrath was coming, and all evil and sinfulness would be cast out of God's presence, praise God, If Jesus didn't believe that, why would he put himself in our place? No, Jesus Christ's belief in heaven and hell was so compelling that it compelled him to put himself in peril at the highest degree. And on the flip side of that, Christ has come. And out of the tomb erupted life and out of the tomb erupted real hope and all kinds of opportunity for us to come and receive Christ's covering for our sin. So in the same moment, when the holiness of God is fully released on the earth, we will be covered by, by what Christ has issued for us. 
when his blood was shed on the cross. Just a few more things here that the cross tells us about eternity is it tells us, number two, that unchecked sin leads to a gruesome death. Because hell is a place where people go to pay the penalty for sin. It's where they go to pay the wage. And the wage isn't just living a life less than the best. Less than the best. The wage for sin is death. And it's a gruesome death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is why uh, there wasn't just an incarnation and then an ascension. Here's what that means. If the wages of sin were simply just being a bad person or just some unfortunate consequences, Jesus could have just come to earth, been a really good teacher, and then ascended back into heaven. But no, that's not the whole story. We know that's not the whole story. That there was an incarnation, a crucifixion, a resurrection, then an ascension. And the cross represents, the crucifixion represents the death that Jesus did in our place. The third thing that the cross tells us about eternity is number three, no one can make it to God on their own merit. So let, let's just uh, go down this road for a moment. Uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe you feel like it wouldn't be hard to believe that somehow it's all going to work out. And maybe you say, I believe in the Bible, I believe in hell, I believe in Jesus, I believe in heaven, but I reserve this one part of my thinking that this is just gonna work out for everyone someday. And that is a human desire. But it breaks apart the character of God. Because without the wrath of God, uh, there is no righteousness of God. They, They are interwoven together. You can't have one side of that equation without the other. But here's the big story. For us, we've got to come to terms with the fact that we cannot make it to God in our own merit. It's not possible. There's no way. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So let's just just use a best case scenario. Let's say that there's a little old lady Uh, somewhere in the Midwest, and she's a kind and gentle soul, uh, but she does not believe in Jesus. She's never believed in Jesus and hasn't received the work of Christ done for her on the cross to receive her covering. Isn't there a way that just somehow at the end of the day, a little back door that yes, the mass murderers and yes, the human traffickers traffickers and yes the pedophiles and and satan of course and all of his demons are going to into the lake of fire to be tormented by god we can see that but what about this little old lady surely there's a back door for her at the end of the day that she can enter in and she can be saved even though 
She's never declared with her mouth that Jesus is Lord. She's never believed in her heart that God raised him from the dead. And even though she ran her whole life and never surrendered to Jesus, that she's going to make it in. And the place that breaks down is the cross. The place that breaks down is Jesus. The place that breaks down is the fact that Jesus was crucified to save us. And if there was a way, any way to get to heaven apart from that, is Jesus not the most foolish person to have ever lived? Is he not the most foolish person to have ever walked the face of the earth? Jesus, if that is true, that there is some other way in, Jesus is to be pitied. And Jesus is one to say, well, thank you for putting down heaven and and putting on skin and going to the cross and being absolutely crushed for our shame. But actually, you did not have to do that because there was another way. There was always going to be a way for somebody to make it in on their good works or their personality or where they ended up living at a certain time in a certain place. And there were other options and there were other ways in. Jesus did not believe in another way. And he did not believe in a back door when he shouted, it is finished on that cross. And he is teaching us by his death on the cross that he is convinced of everything he ever taught on heaven and everything he ever taught on the subject of hell. It's one of the greatest things that the cross teaches us about eternal realities. Just a couple more because one of the very greatest things that the cross teaches us is that hell is absolutely avoidable. Absolutely. What the cross teaches us uh, mostly is that uh, no one has to go there. I mean, the guy hanging on Jesus' side escaped hell in his last breath. And when you put hell on the table, it's real and gruesome and it just in every way. It's the most difficult thing to process with our brains. But everywhere you see this eternal reality of hell, you see God's grace completely overwhelming the conversation. In John 10, 9, Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. You see, God's saying, I've made a way, and his name is Jesus. Receive him, accept him, believe on him, cling to him, avoid death. And this is God's heart for us. God's heart for us is being revealed in this sacrifice. I remember as a teenager going to a theater in Lee Summit to see the film, The Passion of the Christ. And uh, the theater was absolutely packed. And I could hardly watch the screen as Jesus' crucifixion was being portrayed uh, in the most gruesome way. And knowing that that was only a couple hours and a reenactment of an all-night and all-day torture for Jesus Christ. And I remember leaving the theater and someone asking how could a good God send someone to hell? What, what a question. 
What a question after you've seen all that and you've come to know all that because the reality is, the real question is, how could anyone reject that act of love from God? How could anyone reject a God who gave himself to be crushed so we could avoid hell and have the assurance of life for free in him forever? God does not send people to hell. God saves people from hell. God is a savior and you have to step over the cross. You have to step over a savior to get there. Change the question from how could a loving God send someone to hell to how could you not accept the love of God? And so often when it comes to this topic, we wanna know how God is going to work this out with everyone else. You know, what about the people who have not heard the gospel? Or what about these types of people? Or what about this specific scenario? And what I would suggest is that we stop worrying about how anyone else is going to respond to God or or how God is going to righteously deal with anyone else. Because that's actually not ours to worry about. God is going to take care of that. God is going to worry about that. And we should stop worrying about how God will deal with anyone else and start thinking about what is ours to think about. And that is how we are going to respond to God and how he will deal with us based on that response. Jesus tells a story about a rich man who died and he's crying out across this chasm to Abraham and he he goes on and he asks Abraham to send Lazarus back to his five brothers because surely they'll listen to a man who's risen from the dead and they'll believe and they'll not end up in this place of torment and what what this man's experiencing is the reality is it's finally clicked for him that this is real and he wants someone to go back and tell his family uh, to you don't want to come here to make a different decision. And Abraham ends up telling him uh, that if your brothers, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to listen to anyone. And so many times we reject the thought of these eternal, eternal realities and we question God and we reject all this because we cannot bear the thought of a loved one who has passed away to be suffering. All the while, the story tells us that your loved one may be very well crying out for you to believe. And that if they are to be consoled in any way, if there were anything to ease the burden, it would be from the fact that you have turned to God and you have turned to heaven. And that's number five. The fifth thing that the cross teaches us about these eternal realities is that heaven is absolutely worth it. Heaven was worth the cross. Heaven is worth whatever you have to give up to make the decision to follow Christ. Jesus thought the cross was worth it. It's what made him full of joy and endurance and and patience and forgiveness and everything else. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus saw the joy of being seated at the right hand of God the Father, the joy of making a way so that you could be where he is, the joy of preparing a place for you. And so what did he do? He endured the cross. 
And next week, I'm going to share more about what heaven is like and, and, and new things that I'm learning from the word of God about this hope of heaven and how to fix our eyes on eternity, that on a cross that gives us peace with our eternity, that you can be sure where you are going. 1 John 5, 11 through 12 says, and this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. But then he goes on in verse 13 to say this. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. In Rockbrook Church, I have preached this message today so that you would know, that you may know you have eternal life. And God is clear that he doesn't want anyone to perish. But we either agree with God or we don't. And we've heard from Jesus today. We've heard from God's word today. And you have the prerogative to say, I agree with Jesus or I do not agree with Jesus. But I just implore you today from one human being to another to put your hope in Jesus and choose life in Christ and to trust him with your life. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, you know how much we need real hope. You know the world we live in, the evil, the things that happen that are just unthinkable, things I can't even mention, they're unspeakable. But God, you know all of that better than we do. And we thank you that you made a way. You did something about it. You did not look the other way. You did not just gloss over it but you made a way for us to be saved and you made a way that those things do not have to last forever, that there will be an end. But God, we can't believe any of this without your spirit, without you speaking to our hearts, piercing through all of our defenses and whispering to us that deep down we know that it's true and this is the way it is. And God, I pray that you would do that now, that you would do what I can't do or what no amount of argument or preaching can do, which is to speak to us and tell us that Jesus is true and he was right and he is right. And once you've done that, I pray that you would show us where to go, that you would show us how to turn to you, how to walk through that door that you've opened through the blood of Christ for anyone, no matter who they are or what they've done. And as we do it, I pray that we would have this sense of a weight being lifted. That even though there is still trouble, and even though we still sin and make mistakes, and even though we still relapse, that we will have this sense of being brought to life and belonging to you in such a way that nothing could ever separate us again. God, we praise you for this real, true hope. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.